This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, today on Lowell's, we're bringing friend of the show, Pat Mayo, back on the air to continue our discussion from last week. Shakeups in the DFS industry, our site scaling things back. What is the direction we're headed right now with DFS? We'll break it all down on Lowell's, and also we'll check in on what Brian is going to use his uh, DK rewards on. He said he's eyeing some handbags, so we'll see if he's going to follow through on that. I, does he think... I it's think he thinks go. this. He thinks this is a go. Vegas Dave thinks this is a go. Hot naked girls doing yoga. What? Why don't you just win like a man? Random.org. <laughs> Type in one for yes, two for no, and let the DFS cats pick for you. And I'm absolutely begging you not to do bus. <laughs> Please don't do bus. All right, Brick seventy five. Pat Mayo joining us. Pat, how are you doing today, buddy? Oh, I'm doing well. I just had a show published over on the Mayo Media Network. So when you're done with this, you can go watch that. Cam has takes this week about how he pays his lawyer in cash and how his lawyer showed up with a button that said, I love Fridays, and he lost his case. <laughs> Don't hire that. <laughs> that sounds like something out of a, a sitcom or something. Cam's life might be that way, but like an 80s sitcom. So it's like... High stakes, but not too high stakes. We can reset by the end of the day. And now we talk to him next week. He's doing fine. That's funny. Uh, Brian, uh, how are you doing this week? Lots of time pouring over your uh, Onyx rewards. Yeah, yeah. I went over it with my lawyer. Uh, he he likes it. He likes the free stuff. A lot of, lot of uh, rewards chatter on, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, let's... Uh... Do you have any thoughts on that, Pat? Because that's been a big topic about DraftKings kind of restructuring, nuking. I don't know the word for it. Their their rewards program. Have you caught wind of that? I, I mean, I talked to Tambo about it uh, briefly before my show or earlier last week because I heard you guys talking about it. Because hey, I don't play enough volume to actually matter when it comes to that. I'll just use my crowns to enter contests and just use them up right away because I'm never going to have them for anything. But I know that like he is a high volume player, so. You know, he has a VIP guy and, you know, the rewards program of trying to pick like your four days every single month and whatever that is. It just sounds like a hassle to tell you the truth. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, people start wondering about their DFS taxes and it's like, man, if you just lose, you don't have to worry about those. If you just don't play enough, you don't have to worry about what happened to the rewards. <laughs> Brian, have you decided what you're going to get? Well, we got to wait till the brochures come out. Okay. For the uh, the watch and the handbags, Pete. Yeah, it, I, I was, it doesn't some of you or one of you high stakes guys will go out and like try to actually calculate the EV of each prize and then figure out what's actually optimal uh, to select from just uh, how much money you're getting. I mean, I looked at like how much you could buy and sell all the things for. So, I mean, it's not it's not like you're like building out this, you know, big algorithm for this. You I think you should. It. I think you should sim the DK rewards, Brian. JMO, the poker player turned crypto bro, just had a thread last week about how he is the handbag expert of the world or something. And uh and then and then we get handbags on DK as one of the options that we can get. And I'm like thinking, maybe, maybe it's handbag season. I mean, Brian, there's so many things I would pay to see you do, but you walking around the streets of Chicago uh with your handbag would definitely be high up there. That'd be a smart move these days, walking around Chicago with a $20,000 handbag. Um, but they, I mean, they do keep their value and you can sell them. 
There you go. Like how much? How much are you selling these for? Well, we'll see. Like it looks like someone responded to one of my tweets. And they 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 like did some, you know, back of back of the envelope math, and they they think it's all down about twenty percent. So last year, the watch I got was like list like like sixteen k. Um, but watches are were really hot, and it was really more worth like eighteen k. Uh, at that time, and so. I'm I'm guessing like fourteen thousand to thirteen thousand around there. Do you think you could get someone to actually pay that, or it'd be like seventy five hundred? I don't know anything about handbags, believe it or not. But watches what? watches I already had my buddy already offered me like twenty thousand for it. <laughs> Your buddy's offered you two k over market price he, for it. He like he could go and sell it. He knows he could sell it for more than that. No, I think it's because he knows it's a game-worn Brick 75 watch. <laughs> it's not, though. I haven't even opened it. Wow. Now, you need to put this on and be like, this This is how you start shipping tournaments, buddy, once you, once you touch this. <laughs> it's like when people back in the 90s would, like, sift through, you know, Michael Jordan's trash, and they'd be like, I have Michael Jordan's, you know, banana peel here, and they would put it on eBay or something. Um, Pat, Let's let's get focused here. Uh, you uh, reached out. You watched last week's show. You have some unique perspective on being on both sides of kind of the rapid rise of DFS. Sometimes having to scale back. What were your thoughts on our discussion last week? I, I thought you kind of hit on it. Of like, I mean, I don't know the reasons, obviously, of why there's mass layoffs at one place and not at another. But these things tend to come in cycles, and it usually goes with the, the roller coaster of the industry when my. There's a huge money influx and a huge money coming out. Like, Pete, let's not forget. I once, I guess it's not technically laid you off, but we did not continue our contract. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, now that you mention it, you did lay me off. Yeah, no, <laughs> we, we did have conversations about that. But no, actually, no, you're right. Because I did talk to to Justin and because I had done a deal with you guys with Run the Sims, uh, included a flat rate affiliate deal. And then we didn't uh, run it back and we just continued with the affiliate stuff going forward. Yeah, because I had a budget that year to do that show. Like you would do the first look DraftKings show for me. I hired Lauren Carpenter and Laquan Jones and Scott Simpson. And I, I hired Tambo to do one of those. And I did one of them. And you know, I had a budget for that show. I spent that budget. You know, it was on a one-year deal when I went to go get it re-upped. It did renew, but it wasn't for as much money the second time around because, you know, when you do these deals with certain sites, like that one was with prize picks. And I completely understand, like when you do the first launch of the show, there's always the hope that the show gets bigger. But that was a secondary football show on my station behind mine. Uh, and even the showdown shows that Justin was doing at the time. So it was more of a DFS and fantasy focused type show, which is... Maybe it would have been better off on another network rather than mine because it was a bit more serious than the content that I usually put out. But we got the contract back for the next year. We didn't do six shows a week. We did five shows or we did three shows a week. Tambo did two. I did one. And I allocated my resources that way. If I could have paid you to come back and do the show again, I would have. But it just wasn't in the budget. And a lot of deals in this space, especially with so many new sports books and some of the sports books going under right now, is that sometimes you're able to pay people through either... You know, great affiliates that you get off the hop and year one of affiliates is usually going to be the best year of affiliates with new money coming in. So you can then spend that money uh, on new shows, new programming or get one person and bring them in on salary and have them to do three separate things for you, cover three separate sports, do back end for the website and be on camera or be an editor and a graphics designer. But once that money dries up, all of a sudden you can't afford to do it and you have to figure out is this something that I want to have a loss on now because in the future that's going to end up making me money? Or do you just take a look at it and be like, I, I think we've squeezed max value out of this. And sometimes people overperform to the point where they become unaffordable to you. Like I've lost a lot of really good people, editors on the back end along the way because you know, I have the rate that I'm going to pay, but I don't have as much work as someone else is going to pay. So I always feel like my rates have always been pretty fair. But when someone comes to me and they're like, hey, Pat, I can get the same money, but I can get 40 hours a week instead of 10 hours a week. What am I going to say? Like, no, 
like, no, I, no, I'm going to blacklist you. I'm just going to say the worst things about you. No, like, I'm happy for people. So I've always thought about my network as sort of a feeder system for some bigger places. People can come if they have a bit of experience, gain a bunch of experience and then go elsewhere. I'm always happy to see people going elsewhere, but sometimes you, know, you, you have to tighten up. It's not like anyone who owns one of these things wants to lose a bunch of money. I certainly don't. Like I had to lay someone off today. Sucks. He's been with me for 18 months doing editing work. Um, and I had to take a look at it and say, I have another guy coming in doing a big redesign for some of the graphic work, trying to move API feeds into live graphics. Like that stuff ain't cheap, especially someone who knows what's going on with that and can do both the back end work and the graphical work at the same time. And I had to look at, it. I only have X amount of money. I have to allocate it in one direction or the other. And I had to pick a side with that one. So I had to let someone go. It sucks. Almost sounds like you're running a business. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Pete, how, I think how we many just do you have any full time employees, Pat, or is everyone just like part time contractors for you? Everyone is a part, everyone's a part time contractor for me, or potentially even a full time contractor. But, you know, I'm not their only source of income. Just want to make that on the record out there that I am not the only main source of income that these people have. They have uh, income coming in from other places as well. But uh, I probably have like between over the past two years, I probably had like between 30 and 60 people kind of come in and out. At the moment, I have 10, I think. And that's not including the people who host the shows and do things like that. But back end editors, SEO people, that sort of thing. Just this people you would never see. But you kind of have to pay if you don't want to become stagnant. Pete, I think we should. We don't. We don't say this enough anymore. But this show is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, uh, we don't have any inside info. Usually, we're just guessing. Um, also, no, not financial advice. If we not talk financial, about a top shot moment, not financial advice. Don't sue us. Don't dupe us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, um, the the like the idea of this 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 kind of industry and people kind of coming and going uh is pretty is also pretty common right like just just like it's a small it's a small industry i remember just going through my personal like dfs stuff hiring coders and stuff like that i've probably went through like 10 10 people maybe maybe more so like um it's different when all state lays off a bunch of people, you know, compared to this kind of niche within a niche. I, I, I kind of, I, I tweeted this out today earlier. Didn't really get the responses I was looking for, but <laughs> which, which, which is status quo for Twitter. But um, the, the snake draft on, on DraftKings um and like lack uh, thereof of any popularity for it. And like, for example, NBA tonight just like doesn't have a GPP, like just don't have GPPs. And the fact that underdog took off so well, I'd, I'd be interested to get Pat's thoughts on, on that, this kind of idea of like, and one of the reasons this, this, I, I thought about this was because our, our buddy Andy uh, is starting his own uh a DFS site and he DM me and asked me, you know, what I thought and stuff like that. And like my only, the only thing I'm contemplating is like, like how did underdog even pull it off? Like, it's like such a miracle to get your foot in the door and get so big. And you have this competing snake draft that was there before underdog released. I believe could be wrong there. That's just dead essentially. Right. Like barely anyone uses it, but yet underdog, has been so successful. And it's like, is that because they hire the right influencers? Their interface was better. They, the, you know what I mean? Like, I, I know, I know season long basketball is a little different than snake drafts, but you know, like what makes a company, what, you know, what's going to drive a, a new company to success given this, this new kind of saturated market we're in and, you know, layoffs, but, you know, it sounds like, you know, um, Stochastic's doing just fine and they might even be hiring people too. So, um, you know, having said all that whole spiel, do you have any thoughts on, on this? So you're, what you're saying is that like the underdog snake drafts for NFL are just blowing DraftKings out of the water? And and their best ball product too. Like how do they get it to, to take off so well? 
Well, I think that they put a concerted effort into, I mean, I mean, Pete could probably talk to that better than I can. That, I mean, DraftKings never once approached me about talking about their best ball product, for one thing. And I'm one of the biggest DraftKings mouthpieces that's been out there for the past seven years. Um, so, I mean, I never really got into it. And it seemed like the type of customer that ended up at Underdog versus the longtime customer that would be at DraftKings, that it just seemed like a lot of... like. Uh, Brian, you you were a poker guy. A lot of poker people came over to DFS, the first wave of DFS. It strikes me that they, I don't want to say regress into playing best ball, but it just seemed like a more logical leap that if you were playing a ton on DraftKings, that the logical leap would be to go to the sports book and bet rather than go to season-long drafts. That would be my take, at least. What do you, the, the other difference between how underdog and prize picks have approached things like going heavily with influencers compared to DraftKings, like does DraftKings even have an affiliate model with anything? Because as far as I know, like they, they've had you, they've had, you know, Levitan back in the day was a primary influencer for them, but like, they've never done the thing where they just went around to all the micro content creators and was like, here's your link, get people on our site to play, get on here to do these flash drafts, get them on here to do best ball drafts. Like they've never taken that approach with their marketing no they haven't but they do that through their commercials so you know for when rex ryan is giving out a DraftKings lineup on sunday morning countdown use code rex to get a deposit match of whatever you know, I, I don't know what the metrics are is that i mean obviously you get in front of more people doing it that way but is that actually a more effective way to get a long-term player and someone on your app and using it over and over than you doing it I, I would guess that you'd have this whole influx of people coming in but are those people really going to stick around once they lose their 15 dollar deposit I, I don't know i think that barstool had very much the same way that like pen bet on barstool being able to convert at such a high rate and it turns out that a lot of the barstool people just weren't big betters and they didn't convert maybe they had no money maybe it was too young of a crowd but you would think that'd be the ultimate way to get it. I mean, logically, it makes a ton of sense. Obviously, something went wrong. They weren't getting the depositors or getting the market share in any of these states amongst the other sports books that they thought that they were going to get, that they were able to get the whole entire thing back. And then Penn ends up teaming up with ESPN, which apparently is going quite well. So maybe the Rex Ryan thing is a really bad example because maybe that does work really well. Maybe they saw those numbers like, hey, we should just do this on our own rather than pay in DraftKings. But you know, whether it's BetMGM with Jamie Foxx, Kevin Hart for DraftKings, it seems like... I don't know, maybe it's just because of the scale of their business at this point that they want to say, hey, we have Kevin Hart, you know, one of the biggest comedians in the world talking about it, who gives a shit about Pete and Pat and Brian and that kind of thing. Like, we don't need to sully ourselves with that. Whereas underdog and prize picks and underdog, especially, I think, in that sense, became, I don't know, like a pal in the community in a weird way where DraftKings used to be that way, it felt like eight or nine years ago, or even hell, five years ago. But it just seems like DraftKings is now a publicly traded large conglomerate. It does feel, although the scale for underdog is massive, it does feel more friendly as a perception. At least that's my perception of it. I could be off base with that. Well, and I think the, the Barstool thing is a good example, right? Because you're talking about like the stickiness of the users and like the big time ads. You can get people on the site. You get that first time depositor, you get them. But then the question is, how long are they going to stay? Like, are was Barstool creating enough content that made it fun for people to constantly engage with it? I think that's almost kind of like the beauty too of like the best ball and the draft style games. Like just plain and simple, it takes you longer to lose your money, you know? And so the, the natural sweat equity of that and just the duration that you're on the site is longer. Like even these playoff drafts, you draft them, you know, a month or so ago, you're not going to know how you did until the Super Bowl. Like you're getting a lot out of your sweat and you're going on the site and you're checking it. When you do a single game parlay, 10 legs blows up in the first game, you have no need to go log back into that site and see how it was doing. And then you have to go place a nine gamer in game <laughs> with the same picks <laughs> yeah same picks just get that one guy off and you're good to go I, I don't know what the economics are brian maybe you have a better sense of this but i would say that underdog is probably for your lower limit player not to say that there aren't high stakes players there but by and large your average person is probably not pumping in as much money sure sure i i will say i think a big uh uh part of it is randomness or just you know you just can't see that Sometimes companies get big for no reason, but the idea of a tool site and content, like I wrap my head around that, like run the Sims. I get it. Like the draft caddy. Okay. Maybe that, maybe that's useful to enough people and you make some money or maybe it's not whatever, but starting your own 
sportsbook casino basketball DFS slash site is just seems like such a, a monumental task to to pull off, especially in a regulatory environment. And the fact that they did it, re, even leaving randomness aside, is is impressive. I I, I did say I, I think the the million to first prize in their first year was probably a big part of it um, because they, they, they probably took a lot of risk there. Like that, that could have, you know, gotten 25% failed or even less. Um, but that didn't help drafters really. Um, but, but like really when you just, but who, but who out there have you seen pumping drafters besides people saying, man, there's massive overlay on draft. Davis Maddock in the discord when he always (laughs) his affiliate link. Use code PayCast. Um, no, but yeah, but like we yeah. like Brian, like we I launched that one and done product with Sports mm-hmm. Hub, and we run that every single year. But like every time I have the discussion, like they wanted to go to a million this year for a total prize pool. I was like, I don't know if that will fill. Like I think it's good that we've grown it every year that we've done it, and I'd rather fill it with three days to go and ensure that we can run it again next year and that people and the product is good. People like to play it rather than trying to shoot for the moon. But that's my, you know, it's not my money that I'm putting up. It looks terrible on me if it doesn't fill when I'm the primary person who has to go out and fill that contest and having 800,000 guaranteed and still a pretty good number. Hopefully we can do a million next year, but I think you're right. The million dollar prize works that way, but prize picks didn't really do that. And prize picks did kind of go for the micro influencer route. It's worked really well for them. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was my second point was I think the influencers had a big part of it, but like, I see like when draft.com got bought by FanDuel and then they didn't even use the product. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's mind boggling. But if, if you look at the snake draft on DraftKings, they might have released it and spent all that money, and it might have not taken off at all because it's FanDuel, and they and you know they're not running their company very well, and people aren't excited about it. You know, it, yeah, they, are I, they not running their company well, or they're not running their DFS well because the betting product seems to be scorching everywhere. Sure, fair, fair enough. And I mean, maybe even their DFS product's doing good because maybe they just don't spend any money on it, but it still makes money. You know, who knows? But like, I mean, I, I, I could, I could see that they release draft on FanDuel and it just is not nearly as popular as underdog. Uh, maybe like maybe just being its own solo company where you don't have all these products intermingled under one brand is helpful. That and I mean, when it first came out, Pete, it was just football, right? There was nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. When they first launched. Yeah. I think that helps because there's a lot of people who only participate in fantasy because of football. And yeah, you want to have the smorgasbord of options there. It's like, oh, I also like basketball. Let me try basketball. But that comes farther down the line to hook them to begin with. Just focus on football, make a great football product. And I don't think that we can underrate like the how good Jeremy it is that at this kind of thing like you know this is product number two and this one's worth what like 100x what draft was worth so he obviously knows what he's doing when it comes to this stuff and this this always comes up when you talk about underdogs advantage but i do think it's real um the ui i mean the Mm. app experience is so so good um it's like a a very welcoming inviting easy to use thing like the 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 sportsbook apps i've used and we've talked about this before like by and large they are just horrendous like you want to get in make your bet and get the hell off of there where it's like underdog invites you oh let me just scroll like i had the other night where i was like i said i wasn't going to do it and then i went through and i named all of my playoff teams i went through looking at each one i was like why i I said i wasn't going to do it and then i'm like well it's kind of easy i just do i'll just tab through them all. And I, I was on the app for an hour naming my teams. I think that UI thing is, is a big edge. I don't, I don't think so, man. Like you can make an awesome product with an awesome idea and 90% of the time they fail. Like that's right, just but can you give me an works. example of an awesome pro- that had an awesome UI? Yeah. I mean, most, most of them you never hear of, but like but I, I, the reason, the reason I say it is because my brothers are both, computer guys and they're in UX and stuff like that. And they've been in, in startups and my sister too. And, um, and like the, usually these startups all fail. And a lot of times they have smart, good ideas, smart people. And like, it's just the numbers, the, the numbers are out there. You can look it up and go, the vast majority of these businesses fail, even with good UI. Like I, I, I that's why I'm, I, I can't wrap my head around one thing takes off and the other doesn't, you know, like in this 
Snake Draft versus Battle Royale, like it's the exact same product. But it also, how do people find out about it? Who is attached to it? Who is talking about it? And at this point, underdog in these sort of things with the online community that everyone is kind of you know, where you're finding out about this stuff, it just seems like more people are talking about the underdog product than the DraftKings product. And maybe that's all it is at this point. Maybe underdog launched right place, right time. And that got them in the market. They were prepared to take off. Because that's another thing, too, we see with a lot of these sites that, you know, they hit the market. It sounds like a good idea. And the product isn't where it should be at launch. And then people just don't give a shit after that. They never go back. Yeah. So how do you think this stuff all dovetails with like just the the concept of let's say the larger DFS industry and let's include drafting games weekly even that within this picture where it's like we're talking about these sites that primarily focused on salary cap DFS that doesn't seem to be growing if anything it's shrinking like we've also seen sites be like oh we'll pivot to sports betting that's where there's growth it seems like they're maybe having a hard time like con full scale converting their DFS players into sports betters. Like, do you think we are going to see more scale backs and layoffs from these sites if they fail to adapt to these new landscapes? I don't know if we're going to see it from the sites necessarily, because it seems like they're just raking in. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if DraftKings is like profitable at the moment because of the marketing budget that they put into everything that you, know, you can just kind of break even tread water. But I did see the stock was way up today. So that's always really nice when that <laughs> happens. I always like to see the green screens on the stock app. I mean, I actually, I saw a green screen last week on DraftKings. It's a double duty for me. Usually there's no green screens on DraftKings <laughs> when I'm actually playing in golf or football, but I don't know how much it does with the sites, but if the marketing budgets of these places go down, then the trickle effect comes down to us and people in our ecosystem and the sites. And like almost to go back uh, like to the point that I was making earlier about how I had to lay someone off uh, because I needed to give someone more hours and pay them a little bit more to get a project done that I needed to do because I put an emphasis on that project over that project. I had to pick which project that I thought was best for Mayo Media going forward. And that could be a thing with a lot of these sites too. Like, when just because someone gets laid off doesn't mean they're a bad employee or anything like that. They could potentially make too much money uh, for the job that they actually need to fill. Like that's happened to me two or three times throughout the course of my career. I outperformed my job and I was then being paid too much money because I was doing a good job for the job that they could hire someone for half my salary to do. They didn't need me to do that job anymore. And I had to move on to somewhere else. And just from a cost benefit analysis of it, like it was good to have me in that role. But at a certain point, I wasn't adding anything more to the role. The role was established. It was done like in full. I don't want to say full disclosure, but like one of the jobs that um, that we were doing that I was able to save money on, like I had someone going through each of my shows to create a shorts channel for YouTube and to populate that onto a new Instagram account, like the best of from the past four years, scanning through shows, clipping everything, putting them into the right formats for uploads for each of these places, captioning everything. And then like two months ago, I found an AI site that doesn't like 30 seconds. It costs yeah. 30 bucks a month. Mm. Yeah. So... As much as I like the person, I'd rather pay 30 bucks a month rather than 1500 a month. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously. So like, that's a part of it too. Like automation comes in. Like you talked to, I, I, I mean, Justin and I co-own run the Sims together. Moose and I co-own fantasy national together. And one of the good things about that is that it was a very small team. There were just two of us. And really the only costs that you have are servers. I'm the marketing end. They're the back end of everything. And we go forward from there. So it might not be the biggest business in the world, but it's a pretty cheap business to run. If the two people that you have doing the job are good. So it doesn't need to make the most money ever. As long as it makes a reasonable amount of money everyone's kind of happy and that i think that's such a good point too and and dfs sites fall somewhere in that spectrum right of like are you content just making a good living or having a successful business and not chasing the scale in the growth which is what we're so ingrained to think like you got to grow 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 you add more employees you do more but then you put yourself at risk of well now the ebbs and flows of the market or the cash flow and now we got to lay people off or we got to scale back because you are running a business, like it's something I think about a lot too, of just being lean. And then it also allows you to pivot easier, right? Like if you have this big ship that you're directing in one direction and they're like, oh shit, we got to change course. Like that's hard to do. And, and like, I like I was one of the five people who helped co-found uh, FTN. 
And FTN, I thought at the beginning, had a lot of bloat. But one of the, because we hired so many people, it was a new announcement every single day. Got this guy for this. It was like a blitzkrieg. It's like for two months, there was a new announcement. For sure. But one thing that I learned about that was uh, actually when they hired uh, Eddie Fear. And I think he's, Eddie's probably been at every single site that's been around over the past like 10 years at this point. But the thing that I learned about it was he has a very loyal following. It's not 10,000 people large, but let's say it's it just, well, I'm going to throw out an example and I'll say, I have no idea what it is because uh, I didn't really dig into much of the numbers because this was just explained to me. Let's say he had 300 very solid people that would follow him anywhere and pay for whatever subscription where he was at. And let's say that subscription was behind a $300 paywall. That he every place that he goes, he can bring those 300 people with him and you could charge $300 a year to get his content along with whatever it is else that you offer NBA wise, or maybe some people will upgrade to the $500 plan. That's a total package, whatever it might be. Well, there's just $90,000 in revenue anyway. So when you start hiring, like I, I know at FTM, like we hired like Vlad, like Vlad had that for baseball and he has a following that will follow him to FTN to get his baseball product. And that's sort of the best way to go about it uh, if you're going to be a content creator. If you can have, I mean, what did Bale say, Pete? It was like, if you had a thousand true people who will you know, be a fan of yours and pay $10 a month, well, you can kind of shrink that down a little bit. If you had 300 people paying, or 333 people paying $300 a month, all of a sudden you're very valuable to whoever it is. And sometimes you don't know that until you hit the open market. I didn't know that until I hit the open market. I just assumed like, whatever. And then I started talking to DraftKings and, you know, when I'm a free agent, which may or not may not be in like a week's time, um, maybe there is a way for me to scale up that way too. Like I can have this many people come and put eyes onto your product. Now I'm a little bit different because I have two of my own products already, but in terms of viewership, advertising, that kind of thing, getting people to play on your product. I mean, that's something that I can provide in that sense. And I think that that's scalable around everyone in the industry, uh, but it's hard for people to actually know what that number is. Like, I mean, I love Adam and if he's leaving, if I had a, a product, like I don't run a DFS site, but I would love to have Adam come over. Cause I guarantee you there's like 500 people who would follow him anywhere cause they love his stuff. So that's gonna be very valuable for him moving forward and maybe he'll make more money going yeah. forward. Yeah, that Bales thing is uh, is pulled from this guy, Kevin Kelly, like I think wrote an actual book or a long piece called A Thousand True Fans and kind of describing that same model. It's something I think about a lot too. I heard someone phrase it the other day of making um, like upstream content or downstream where it's like if you're going down to where everyone is at versus being a magnet and being upstream and trying to pull people to you. And I think that's where a lot of those like true fans, thousand true fans, 500, 300 come from is because like you do something you're passionate about that you love and they want to come to you and then they'll go wherever with you. As opposed to like, if you're just making content for the large swaths, it's probably not as sticky. If you go to a site and it's like, well, yeah, you hit on all these kind of random people, but are they actually following you over to what your next thing is? And there could be a pivot internally at sites too, being like, hey, this is our DFS product. Our DFS product is really good. DFS is shrinking a little bit. We need to get into sports gambling. We are focusing on selling picks, uh, our automated models, which are much cheaper to run to get people to pay for those, like our sim runner at Run the Sims or even our prop sniper at Run the Sims, a product that people really like. You literally pay 10 bucks a week or 11 bucks a week to just open it. Like here are the five best bets. Projections just make it. They pull on the API that you, know, you scrape the API, you put it up against all the best odds. Now, is that worth it versus someone going on and talking about it? It depends on where you pivot to as a business. If you're trying to save money and think that you can make 90% of the money doing it that way, but it's 50% cheaper, everyone's going to pivot to that way. Or if you want to get at a DFS and get in to gambling or best ball, whatever it might be, you might need other people to do that. So, and when you have a sub site, so let's say me, I go somewhere, let's say I join Brian's new DFS site. You know, it's very, very passionate people playing DFS. Brian, I'm at your site. I bring in people the first year. I bring you a thousand subs the first year. And that's amazing. How many do you think I'm really going to bring you in the second year? I was just going to say that that the, the the difference between the content and the 1,000 true fans and starting your own business is way different. Yeah, but, it like, is, but but that makes me valuable. I go with you for a year. I bring in a thousand people, and then I go to a different site. Maybe I don't get all thousand to come with me. Maybe I get 750 to come with me, and you get in 
like 300 laps with you or 400 laps kind of thing. So you can jump around and get a pretty decent payday. I feel like at least. As, as a, like, like Adam, like shit, my money are saying, you know, but from Andy's perspective, where you're starting a new company, I don't know if that thousand truth fans thing really works. If you have the thousand true fans, that if, if you can find a thousand people to sign up for a site, he's kind of. Up. I mean, but then you're you got to start your company based on your thousand true fans and what they're going to do. Like, you can't just start well, a new company. I get what you're saying, Brian, because the the thousand true fans it comes through like the the type of content or your specific perspective, or they are they're gravitating to something specific you do. So unless the product you're creating is like uber specific to what right. everyone started following you for in the first place, whereas like Andy probably has an interesting thing. By the way, we're talking about Andy, Andy8052, yes. crypto guy, fractional. He just spun up a site called IKB, which is basically a crypto native thing similar to what Underdog is doing, but it's all crypto based. Um, yeah, right now it's just like the pick em thing. But again, so, yeah. so he's so he's not just a content site. He has like a sports book, basically. Yeah, it's a, yes. it's just like oh. pickums, PVP, PVP ten man pickums. Oh, okay. so yes. ten people enter a pool, and you know, prize structures paid out. Yeah, in, in crypto but, right now only. And he he's interesting from this example because he has a huge crypto following from NFTs and all that. Now this is more a sports oriented thing he's very right. entrenched within the underdog community so he does have some core fans there i guess like to put it back to you pat where like sims are actually a really interesting conversation topic within this umbrella because that is like a niche product it's like an upstream product where you're kind of pulling users the question is are there enough true fans of sims to support a sustainable market especially now that the market is even more saturated with them no, I don't think so. But I think that your site looks weak if you don't have them and it might cause yeah. people to leave, especially like, and the people that use the Sims the most are the people most willing to pay for exorbitant prices for them. So you need to have not only have Sims, but have good Sims to go along with the rest of your product because, you know, the people that's like, Brian, you have what subscriptions everywhere, I'm guessing? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. And most high end players who spend a ton of money do because even if they don't use those sites, just being able to see what the projections are on those sites, what the Sims are saying on those sites. I would guess that would have extreme value, wouldn't it? Sure. So I would just, if, if we had a product, if we had run the Sims and we didn't have Sims, that would be weird to begin with. Well, but yeah. like Justin went all out to create that tool so we could be competitive in the market with everyone else. If everyone else is going to have Sims, we need to have Sims and we want ours to be the best, obviously. But if we had an only Sim site and that's all it was, Sims for DFS contest, I mean, I don't know how sustainable of a business that is. People still like that's such a high level. Like you're just taking so much of the market out of it at that point. We need to have it because we have users who want to use it and it's a great product. But the optimizer, that's another one, a lineup builder. That's what most people want to have. But then like when we introduced the prop sniper, people ate that up. That did really, really well because it turns out people just want to be like, hey, who should I bet? And that was the answer key. I think, I think there's also like a meme aspect of this. Like Top Shot, like that was like a meme company essentially, right? Like everyone was just doing it every day for three months straight. It blew up into a billion dollar company, and they couldn't they couldn't pull off. And then it blew back up again. Blew up. <laughs> we all blew a billion dollars collectively. <laughs> um, but like I think Underdog and even maybe even DraftKings back in the day, but through a marketing blitz, kind of memefied themselves a little bit. And kind of got into that, like the zeitgeist of just this is just everyone's talking about it. Um, and I'm I really interested. Really in this, hard. To do I'm really interested through. in this crypto site now, just just because of the marketing base for it. Like, like you said, yeah, if you have a big crypto following, these people aren't necessarily sports people. How convertible do you think that is? Well, the one thing I will say is people who were into NFTs and crypto, they fucking love to gamble, man. They that yeah. that is what they're you doing, and like. And so that part money. of it, and then the other thing that I even noticed, a lot of the native NFT and crypto people got really into playing on underdog, playing DFS through the bear markets. Cause it's like, this is not a fun casino <laughs> in a bear market. So whereas the constant of gambling and sports is always going to be there. So there is kind of a pretty good Venn diagram there. I think of like just gamblers who are willing to speculate on anything. Then that could, and if, if he can convert, even 2% of his audience over Brian, and then like start building some traction from that, do the right marketing. Like, cause how big does it need to be? Cause it's peer to peer, right? It's not against the house. 
Yeah, so that needs to be bigger. Yeah, yeah. You need people to go do you it. You need a lot of people. Yeah, but yeah. is it something that people would be willing to do on a small scale to start with? Like, if DraftKings launched today and it was just the pick six, like that seems like a pretty a business that wouldn't go anywhere. But if it's if you're not a big company doing it and you're one guy or two people doing it, could you sustain that? And you don't need to exponentially grow. You just need to exist for a while. Exactly. By the yeah. way, if you guys want to hear more about uh, Andy and D's have a podcast called the We Do a Little Podcast, and I believe their most recent episode, they talked about it for about 25 minutes, kind of Andy's thoughts on bootstrapping it, some of the hurdles they've hit, what they're trying to accomplish with it, all that stuff. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, uh, you can check that out. Um, I'm interested with the Sim stuff, Pat, and with Run the Sims, like, where are you guys at from like, uh, like a roadmap perspective? Are you guys you know, happy with your existing base and we just kind of want to serve those customers? Are you hungry to capture more market share, add more features? Like how do you navigate this kind of uncertain overall DFS and sports betting market? Well, I think shifting, pivoting into some sports betting was a big key for us, be it the prop market. And like, if we can figure out a way to model out games and spreads and totals, I think that gives us a completely different avenue to gain new customers because it's not about exponential growth, right? Like we like where we're at. We love our customer base. We want to serve our customer base first and foremost. That's what we want to do. But if you're not actively trying to grow, you're going to shrink at the same time. So you need to kind of finagle that a little bit. Like, are we going to add new sports? Probably, uh, maybe pretty soon. Who knows? Um, I, I don't want to kind of lay out everything that's going on behind the scenes with it, but there is a roadmap for us to, you know, if we push a button and spend the money, could we get really big really quickly? Well, I mean, that's up to the market to say they like these new tools, but we could have a completely built up product with our football, our Sims as a base, like USFL, XFL is coming up. That's always print season at Run the Sims. It's funny because I still have money on prize picks and I basically only play prize picks during spring season because justin is so good at projecting that stuff by week i think it was six of the usfl last year the lines were just run the sims lines at prize picks uh so like just hitting that part of the market using the tools but like no one gives a shit about usfl even if you're winning a bunch at it no one really cares so you need to build up your product that way so i think that there's different ways that we can go with it. I love the product right now. I find it very easy to use. And if you're someone like me, who's like plays like 500 bucks a week in NFL, 500 bucks a week on DraftKings and PGA, uh, plus all the betting stuff, or even less than that, um, I think it's a really good tool uh, to be able to use in that way because you know it helps you make your decisions. You can do your research on it. But in terms of growing the business, I don't think that we want to overextend ourselves at the same time. Like how much of the money do we pump back into marketing for new tools and try to figure out that calculus? We have a, we have some months now in between now and the start of next football season to really get that on the go. I don't think that we're going to have MLB Sims by the time that April comes around. So that's probably not on the docket. My, my mind on, uh, on kind of this thumbnail, this pod and what we've been talking about goes to what's the next big thing. Because a, I just think that's how you how you I've made money and how how you make money is you get on poker early, you get on DFS early, you get on best ball early, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, crypto early, top shot early, and sell fast. <laughs> but I, that part. I think that I I would say not that these layoffs are into you know are like definitely saying anything to us, but I think the writing's kind of on the wall. Um, you know, not, you know, none of the poker never went away, obviously, and he's come back. So like DFS is never going to go away. But like, if you kind of look at like the, the rewards going down, the size of the pools going down the, 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 um, the competition, I mean, it was only like five, six years ago, you had, you had uh, a fantasy draft.com going rake free to try to compete, like, you know, forcing, you know, forcing these, com you know, competitive angles on each other. And all that, a lot of that's all gone. And so I think like, I would think more of like, okay, what is, what's around the corner? There's always going to be something else around the corner. You know, what's it going to be? Uh, and I, and I kind of want to say that a lot of, you know, we talk with a lot of industry people and I think it's a little bit of cope, like a little bit of, you know, that, um, that Upson Sinclair quote, uh, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his, his salary depends on it. Hmm. 
you know, so like, I think it's just hard for people to, you know, who are, who are there, like in, you know, like what else am I going to do? You know, <laughs> like that type of thing, like just players and content people uh, to kind of like think, think about that. Like what's, what's next. I'm not, I'm not saying anything's over here. And like, I think best ball's got a bright future in the short term, but you know, that's where I'm, th- where I'm at. So Pete, let me ask you your average best ball customer. Cause I had this discussion with, uh, with Nick a while ago, probably like two, three years ago when he was talking to me about dynasty, it always felt like, I mean, dynasty has a very passionate fan base, Yeah, but how much are those customers worth? Right. Yeah. And that, that's a really good question because we've seen, you've probably seen it too. Some of these dynasty YouTube channels have massively taken off. Like sure. built big time audiences. They're playing the YouTube game as well. They're doing things right. But yeah, that is like, you know, with, if you're playing best ball, you can get people on underdog. People are building tools, you know, there's, there's stuff that you can sell with, with dynasty. I guess there's tools too, like trade calculators and stuff like that are popular. I do think it probably circles back to the thousand true fans thing. Like if you have those sickos who are so entrenched in dynasty, you can sell them tools. Hey, how do you manage 15 dynasty leagues at once? Here, here's a tool to help you do that. Here's a trade calculator to do that. Here's premium content. Here's a concierge service where we talk to you about, you know, like I think when you really drill down into these niches, maybe you're not getting products that scale at large, but you get products that just hit the demo square in the bullseye. That's a really good call. I bet because I, I know like when I go talk to advertisers, be it video advertising or audio advertising, they're somehow those are two completely separate departments. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Don't quite understand that, but that's just people creating jobs for themselves at these corporations. Uh, but like I will tell them about my football audience versus my golf audience. And well, the football audience is larger because it's football, the customers they want are my golf audience because they're like, those are people who will spend money. We know it. When they're into golf, they'll spend money. And just like, right, here's the check. Like the the ad, the ad rates I can sell at for golf season for one-third the audience is more than I can sell for football season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and then, they're and playing, they're playing their... Go ahead, Pete, sorry. No, I was just going to say, too, like there is like the two, like some of the ad conversations you're having, too, like where a lot of those deals will just be exposure. Like if TaylorMade wanted to sponsor your show and they're just like, we want that exposure, slap the logo on, do a quick read or whatever, versus you have a product that is specifically tailored for a large amount of your audience, too. And it's like, which of those is more valuable? I mean, it's nice to be able to play in both sandboxes, but a lot of small creators don't have access to the bigger deals, the advertising sales meetings you're having to. And so they have to focus on the hyper niche products. Well, I mean, that's, that's what I did. Like when Moose and I started Fantasy National, that was a product that we had that was essentially designed for my audience. And yeah, you know, that was a, we were first to market with a product like that. We still have a very loyal fan base. We're getting a huge upgrade as of next week. I've been playing around with all the tools. So it's very nice. Just want to make sure they all work before we put them out into the world. Uh, fantasynational.com slash mayo. If you want to get 20% off, get in now. <laughs> there we go. Got to get those promos in. Got to get paid. But like we sold that company in 2020, the first week coming out of COVID when golf came back, we finalized the deal. So we were able to build that up and cash out and stick with the company afterwards. Um, I mean, that's sort of a blueprint for all this stuff. So there is the possibility as well, because I know that I would probably do it if someone was interested in buying Mayo Media Network, that I would take a look at where the highest pieces of, I mean, you can sell, because the market is different. So probably pre-COVID and even coming out of COVID, you could sell for, fuck, 6X revenue. Some places, like now you'd be lucky to get two and a half at a maybe 40 60 cash versus stock split like that's just been the way it's been for the past two years or so i think everyone was kind of banking and i even set up my DraftKings contract this way and i was dead wrong that i assumed texas and california would be legalizing this year like when the calendar turned and i would be coming into a market where there was just a ton of money coming in i think a lot of people are saving all their money for when those two states go live and that's why you're seeing a downturn right now. Interesting. I hadn't heard that floated yet. Mm. So when people want to go acquire things, they're acquiring things for 2x, maybe 3x right now of revenue, or try to do some sort of like 10x, whatever the profit is. So if you do see some layoffs coming, maybe that's 
trying to build up a higher profit structure for the last six months, 12 months by getting rid of some of the higher salaries to say, hey, we're more profitable. And then to sell within that time frame to make it seem like you're far more profitable than you are. I know these would be things that I would be thinking of I, if, if I was trying to sell my company. I mentioned that in the last show too, maybe, but um, at least for stochastic, that doesn't sound like what's happening. No, it doesn't. I, I, I mean, I don't have any inside info of what's going on over there, but it doesn't seem like that optically to me either. Uh, but it could just be a pivot in direction of what they want to do content wise, or maybe they found automation like I did in different ways where uh, they felt like the cost benefit of going one way versus paying more money would be it. And, you know, it sucks. And it sucks even more because especially within this industry, everyone, no matter what site you work for, everyone knows everyone. Everyone's pretty friendly with one another with like a few outliers here and there. And people are very visible. Like you talk to them all the time. You see them all the time. You listen to them. Like you know, people do have somewhat of a parasocial relationship to people on podcasts. They do feel like they're your friends and you feel like really shitty if something bad happens to them. So you have that emotional aspect that comes into it as well. I remember the day at fantasy when I worked at fantasy sports network where they laid off 50% of the staff. They just started calling everyone into the office and it was a, we got very drunk that night at the bar downstairs, everyone, but like that was a devastating day. And like Paul works with me now, but Paul was one of those layoffs at the time. And like, I, I, I wasn't because uh, I was hosting like eight hours a day and producing content myself. They needed me to stay on the air. But I really wish that they would have come to me and be like, just even with their layoffs, like everyone, no one was really making a lot of money. Everyone was either making 30,000, 32,000, and some on-air people were making 44,000, uh, but not all of them. And that's a very low limit living in downtown Toronto, even eight years ago now. So it wasn't really costing them, although it turns out the executives were making some money and that's where all the money was going. Uh, but like just the inefficiency of that place cost us a huge staff uh, that we could have done a lot with just mismanagement. And that's always a part of it too, that people don't see that. I'm not saying that one place is doing a layoff because it was mismanaged, but that place had to do a bunch of layoffs because it was mismanaged. That's always on the table and you'd never hear about it. Yeah. You, uh, I have two things I wanted. I remembered something I wanted to ask you, but like you mentioned the optics thing. And I do think how things unfolded with the stochastic stuff is a, a cautionary tale and a lesson in PR and how you announce things because the optics of it just on the surface are very bad. And when you leave it vague, everyone is going to assume layoffs. They're going to assume money is tight. That is going to be the default assumption. So the onus is on you to say that is not true. The onus is to say, we are automating more things. We are redirecting resources to building more tools and hiring more developers. Whatever the answer is, I promise you the brutal truth will be received far better than an ambiguous Two people are no longer with us because then all the wheels start turning. Everyone naturally wants to know. I just think in general, unless there's some, you know, kind of very serious thing behind the scenes that you're not able to talk to for, you know, legal reasons, that just being honest about the direction that the company is heading in, especially if things are ostensibly going well, then fucking tell people that. Like, be honest with what it is. People will understand that and they'll be able to swallow that pill so much easier than just leaving it super vague. And they could have run crunch the numbers on that as well to say, if we leave it vague, then people will talk about this and people will just say stochastic over and over and people will then go to the site. That's they didn't want people line. talking about it. Okay. <laughs> <We know. laughs> um, I think the point Pat made was huge and really light bulb for me here is like maybe leaving some TV personalities aside since the fifties, we're like in this new paradigm of this parasocial relationship. And I don't think that they really that really even crossed the mind uh, on these layoffs and how they announced them. And just in general, that you got to you got to imagine that it's kind of a community and people feel like they have a relationship with these content creators. And so when you lay them off, like you just laid off their buddy, and that's never happened in human history. Right. Besides, like I said, maybe some like tea, like when Charlie Sheen got laid off from two and a half minutes. Or when like celebrity couples break up and people yeah, feel yeah, like yeah, this yeah. visceral reaction. But even, even in those, they don't really, they yeah. know that, 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 that Brad Pitt isn't their friend. Right. <laughs> but in the internet age, that line is kind of blurry. Have you seen for a some of these Swifties? I don't think there's they know some that crazy, not their friend. There's crazy people everywhere, but like, <laughs> But yeah, well, like, I, would, I would say the difference is if a Taylor Swift fan was to see Taylor Swift in person, they would be like sweating. They wouldn't know what to say. 
It's not like if someone recognizes me when I'm walking down the road, they stop me in the middle of the road, pull out their phone and be like, can you check my fantasy team for me? Like there's that level of being comfortable with someone and feeling like you really yeah. know them. Uh, they would want to buy Neil a beer. Game. They would want to buy Neil a beer. They wouldn't be like, oh my God, Taylor Swift and faint, you know? So like they think they think of him more as a, as a buddy. Um, you know, I've heard people say like they, you know, they see TV or the, the, the internet, whatever now is, is, is more of a window, you know, or a door, you know, as opposed to like this, this is a screen. This person doesn't know you exist. You know, it's just hard. I think evolutionary wise for, for people to kind of separate the two. And so when you start laying people off in this smaller community, you gotta be, you gotta be careful. I would do Pete's unless there's some legal thing. Like Pete said, I would do exactly handle it like how, how Pete did. And I would say, it would say like the default Pete's right. If you, if you lay off two or more people, the default view is going to be your, your company's tanking. If you only lay off one person though, I think the default view is that person. That, that person. Yeah. Fucked up. Yeah. It was like, even at one of my old uh, companies when I had my, my day job too. And they would, they would do when they'd let people go, they would bring two people in like together, they would do them together too, to kind of you know, shift the optics and not make it seem like one person was the bad guy or whatever. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Pat, and I, I brought this up on the show last week, and you kind of mentioned it with having all contractors too, and they don't make their sole income with just you. They can go do other side work elsewhere. That can also be a feature too, right? Where they're able to supplement their income. And the theory I floated was that my guess is because the people at Stochastics brand were so directly aligned with them that they didn't even want to entertain contractor roles. And again, I have no clue what happened, but how do you think about that idea of exclusivity in the brand value you're getting from that versus maybe still getting to work with people and just understanding, yeah, they might also be in a, under another umbrella somewhere else. So I have, I guess, two lines of thought on that, because for me, I think it's beneficial to my contractors that appear on my network to appear in other places as well. Because A, that means they're probably good. And they get other jobs and pay them everywhere else. They stay happy that their only source of income isn't just coming from me. It allows them to go out. They can use Mayo Media Network as a platform for them. And maybe they can even talk. I've never put any limitations on what people can talk about on my shows. If someone's doing like, listen, I have Tambo on my network at Ship and Nation. I mean, I had Rum Pure people on all the time. Like if I, because Andy Lack just joined uh, Rum Pure for golf. If Andy fills in, for like does a show with Feinberg, which he does for like odds checker or something like that. Like, but you can see like there's all these different things, but it's just more visibility for the people on my network. If someone likes Feinberg on odds checker with Andy from Run Pure Sports, well, they might check out Run Pure Sports. They might check out Mayo Media Network. So I think it'd be a good marketing tool, but I'm in the advertising game. I'm in the views game, the downloads game. I'm not necessarily in the selling products game. That's like the second level of my business model, getting people into my web and my net from free content for shows they might sit down and enjoy is step one for me. So maybe what I want from people in terms of people who appear on my network and giving them the access to go everywhere uh, in terms of getting more publicity that way from other places and getting credibility from other places and bringing it back to their shows on my network might work differently if I had a subscription package. And that's what I was pushing for my main source of revenue for a site. So I can understand it kind of both ways, but I would just feel like it would work as, you know, I've always talked about with you, Pete, that I, you know, I always wanted Mayo Media Network to be a place where people from all different sites can kind of come into one spot. And, you know, you, you could do a show with two people from opposing sites and like run a game show or something like that. But I wasn't tied to any one place. So I could always speak to everyone. And the industry is still so small that there's still enough customers for everyone. Now, it seems like Brian seems to think like uh, that might not be the case anymore. Am I reading that right? That the industry is not small? No, that the industry, like, I think that there's enough customers for all of the sites that currently exist. Oh, yes. Even more. I was just going to, I was just going to say that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think, I think there's, I mean, I have two two minds because I was just reading an article and some Twitter posts about how many um, like Vegas Davy ask type of sports betting touts are out making millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. and I just I can't wrap my head around it. Like in 2024, how you could be that stupid and like oh, give buddy. these guys thousands buddy. of dollars. I I know. I just can't. It's just hard for me to understand. So like, but I also think there's too much content. And even if a power user like myself is not subbed, 
to all these damn sites anymore. And I think there's got to be contraction that's good, that's going along that will go along with the already contraction of the DFS industry as a whole, like amount of players, the rake back pro the rewards programs getting tanked or gone completely like FanDuel. Um, so like, but I mean, I guess if there's enough money for Vegas, Dave to eat, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> or every TikTok guy going on. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know that that shit, that shit boggles my mind, and and you know, because I just think about like I you know I'm like the defend touts guy, but I'm like defending you guys, you know what I mean? And, and like well, like and fortunately, I hope this is the case that Pete and I have a brand that is disassociated with being good at picks, which is very valuable, I think. Yeah, but people also give away picks, like giveaway picks. A lot of people give away picks. Like, sure, but I think cares? that people come like, and watch lols with you two or consume Pete's products because they like Pete. It's not because Pete picks at a hundred percent clip, right? Yes, and yeah. that's valuable because well, I'm, I'm, I'm Pete can talk about like, movies. <laughs> I'm more or less saying like I'm. I don't want people to think I'm defending like these clear scammers. You know? Oh yeah, I mean, no, no, I, I think you're doing. Yeah. There, yeah, no one thinks that. Uh, I think that's what you're saying, and no one likes those people. Like it, it's all. No, apparently we, they do. We, what we agree is that it's when people get on their pulpit and do the holier than thou, or they like, you know, get mad at, you know, people making content in certain ways, like the stuff we were talking about with the incentives threat. And then, you know, they're coming on and saying like, Oh, this is what, like they're, they're misunderstanding that there is a legitimate market for those things. I'm going to hang out with my college buddies this weekend, bet divisional. They do not care where the picks are coming from. They say, Pete, give us the spreads. We're betting Pete. Give me the underdog. They do not care. They're not vetting the picks. They're not saying you could get a better number over here. They just want a tail. They want someone to give it to them. So they don't go mash buttons themselves. There is a market for that stuff. So when people are holier than thou. like you're directing to someone to a better number they could go to this site it's like they don't fucking care man yeah and i like, know the people watching this show do care and that's good and you can be we could line shop and do all that stuff but that's not the same for the entire market yeah i know pete you and i are secret old but let's say we were secret young and we were like 21 <laughs> 22 we'd be doing yeah. all this shit on tiktok we'd be one of those people yeah, yeah. sure and also i think it's okay to be like braggadocio or whatever the word is you know like uh yeah. you know to some extent like who cares they're you know they're just you know it's like a little clickbaity titles it's okay that's the way the game's played um yeah. but then there is a line of course where you know where you're just completely you're removing like you know when you post the line and it loses and you remove it you know and then you fake yeah, fake your record like and because th that's that's the difference. And what does it really boil down to then? It, and it's what Pat was saying. It's the transparency. It's if you're saying, I'm 100%, I give you right. just stone cold lock. That's where it gets into dicey territory. But if you're just every week be like, this is what I'm blasting off on. This is what I'm going to have fun sweating. Here's why I like this pick. Like, if you're just doing that, like, knock yeah. yourself out, right? Basically, anyone charging like a, a hundred or more for a pick is scamming you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually uh, have to power this down because I got to go catch a flight here. Uh, we'll definitely get Pat back on in the future. Pat knows he's always welcome to chop it up on Lowell's. Always like getting your perspective. Pat, let the people know what they should check out here over on the Mayo Media Network. At the PME, Mayo Media Network on YouTube, Pat Mayo Experience on Apple and Spotify. I got daily shows. Just had one come out. Doing another one tomorrow with Ben Raza from Stochastic. So that should be fun when he yells at me about this. <laughs> there you go. Brian, you got anything going on uh, Brick 75 this weekend? Uh, well, I just did Davis's Patreon take cast. If anyone wants to sub to his Patreon, you can hear us talk about things we know nothing about. And, Do you like uh, the title he gave the episode? I think it was our, what was it? He said, uh, Brian admits libertarianism is bad. I didn't fucking see that. <laughs> <laughs> you have, you've turned him, by the way. Oh, I have. I've, yeah, I'm trying to get him really him. radical. I hear him parroting some things. I was like, that's not Davis. That's no. Brian. He steals my ideas. I, it pisses me off now. And I'm like, that's what I told you. Um, what else, Pete? Um, I think that's, that's it. Oh, I did, uh, I'll do um, MMA ownership tomorrow. I was going to ask because my buddies, uh, they, they want to watch the MMA fights this weekend too. So I might have to uh, hand build a couple of lineups. I'll check out the Brick 75 ownership projection. Hey, t t t just tell them to bet the PRP at CJ Saftik on Twitter. He puts out the entire card. Picks of really? each level for parlay. Right. He hit it like four weeks ago for 300 to one. <laughs> All 
All right, does he does he hit at a hundred percent clip? Just stone of course, cold who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah, let's just do it. I was thinking about doing all my golf picks, Brian, and then just being like, "Here are my eight golf picks." And then you know how Twitter kind of cuts it off that I'll just put checks next to all of them at the end of the week. With like, yes, I did lose money on all of these people. I mean, I I literally just did this. I, <laughs> oh, did I you? You? It might have been Skyhook. One, you know, one of the golf guys, and they had jo- Joaquin Noman, uh, Neiman on their uh, ticket. And I'm like, oh my god, I love him. I forgot about. It. I'll throw a fifty on. <laughs> Why not? There you go. Okay, I didn't um, line chop. I just, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's one to yeah. bet. You know, Brian. Brian's. Uh, you know, you you think of him as this stone cold sim DFS killer, but he's down to throw a few beers back and uh, splash oh, around yeah. on the best. Hey, that's Cam Stewart. Cam Stewart said it best. Pressing buttons is fun. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, all right. Appreciate you guys. Thanks again to Pat. We are here every week. Uh, Lowell's Thursdays, 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Talking shop, as Brian said, for entertainment purposes only, baby. We'll see you next week. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.